Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 90, 90 of the Benzo Free Podcast. So how you doing? It's good to be back. I am back home after another crazy trip to Kansas City, <laughs> my 10th this year. <laughs> it's it's kind of seeming like some delusional, um, I don't say nightmare, it's not a nightmare, but a delusional, you know, delusion. <laughs> I can't think of the word. <laughs> When I do these ad lib intros, I don't always come up with the words I'm looking for right away, but you you know what I mean. It's kind of surreal. And um, my wife and I just went back. We did have to get we did get a chance to go to a wedding reception, which was great, and really enjoyed that. And spent um, a night in downtown Kansas City. And I grew up there uh, most of the time, but I hadn't been downtown in years. I don't I don't usually go downtown when I go into town. And so it was really nice to see the changes in the different areas. We really enjoyed the the city market and the river river market area. That was pretty amazing. Caught that on a Sunday morning with all the vendors out and all the food from all different countries and all varieties. It was it was pretty impressive and really enjoyed that. And also we got to see the World War One Museum down there, which um, for those who don't know, Kansas City is home of the um, largest, the National World War One Museum. So it was pretty good to see that and had some good food, some good barbecue as always and and enjoyed the trip. But of course, then the following week, we stayed there for a full week. We spent time working with my folks and um, doing other arrangements and figuring out some financial stuff. So the usual and got the chance to see them and spend time with them. So that was good. It's been crazy busy around here, as I'm sure it is with most of you. Um, Still a lot of stuff going on with our benzodiazepine action work group. And I'm going to fill you in more as that goes along. But we're trying to get some funding for a couple of programs and getting close on that, I think. And also, I have some speaking um, some speaking events coming up soon that I have to prepare for. So just a lot of stuff that I've been trying to do and get get working on. But it's exciting, and we're making progress. And I think we're really making a difference and making change. So it's pretty exciting. And um, look forward to sharing that with you as we go along. I think that'll be pretty cool. I'm going to try to get back to a regular schedule on these. I know this one's probably coming out on maybe Wednesday, I think, because it's Tuesday right now and I'm recording it. But I do want to get to maybe one every other week, at least for a while, so like twice a month, and put out the podcast. So that's what I'm going to shoot for and try to get to more routine so you will know when the next podcast is coming out. I, I don't think I can fit in a weekly one right now just with everything going on. But I think I can get I can get back to twice a week, and I'm going to try to do my best to do that. So I look forward to that. I've had a few setbacks um, my own lately. As you know, I had a wave and kind of set back, and um, um, I'm rambling. <laughs> I had a wave 
not too long ago and it's still lingering on and I'm still having issues, benzo belly issues, some other issues going on, ecosesia, some formication, that's the spiders on my face. Um, so just overall body fatigue and everything. And yeah, like all of us, I don't always know if it's actually benzo withdrawal that I'm still, you know, clinging to with my protracted healing time or if it's something else causing it, you know, did I get COVID? Did I get the flu? Did I get a cold? Did I, you know, pick up some kind of bug going around? Did I just wear myself out? Is it carried over from something? Who knows? And we all ask those questions. We all ask those questions. I wanted to share with you one experience I just had, which I thought was kind of interesting. I got called in for jury duty. Um, many of you have done this. I had never been called before. I'm 55 years old, and it was the first time I had been requested. Now, um, many of you have done jury duty before. I had to postpone it a few times. They requested me twice when I had to be in Kansas City, and I got a postponement. After the second one, the jury commissioner, she made it quite clear that this next one I was not going to be able to put off. So she actually thankfully told me when it would be, and so I was able to plan around it in advance even before I got the request. So... So good, I could leave a week open and attend. Um, I know many people, you know, you can call the night before, at least here in Colorado, and find out if you have to go in, which I did, and I still had to go in. And it was an interesting process. And I wanted to talk about it a second because it was affected by my withdrawal. And I had some anxiety going in. Honestly, my anxiety is mostly about, oh, a lot of things. Um... Many of you know I have some urinary issues tied to my benzo withdrawal. Um, when I get anxious, when I get stressed, um, it becomes more severe. So sometimes I can't go an hour without needing to use the restroom. And I've shared this on the podcast. This is nothing new. I share everything on the podcast. You know, it's just me pouring out all my problems here. I don't really care. I've shared sexual dysfunction. I've shared... Um, digestive problems, I don't, you know, because this is what we're going through. And I think if I hold back, it's not real and it's not something you can connect to. So many of you have had some urinary problems, um, digestive problems tied to this. And of course, when our anxiety increases, like being in a strange situation where you can't control your access to facilities, to bathrooms, to just getting outside, to, you know, being a, a separate from people, it, it adds, it adds that level, that um, level of anxiety to it and thus makes those symptoms worse. But I tried to my best to prepare for it. So I went in that morning and we sat in one room. There were 37 of us in a room with hard back chairs. So my back started to hurt me and we had to wait about an hour, saw a video and everything until finally they took us upstairs to the courtroom. I, I was continually told by so many people that, oh, well, you'll call the night before and they won't need you. This is what happens. Or you will go there, but as soon as you get there, two-thirds of the people are excused. Well, that wasn't the case with us. <laughs> All 37 of us went upstairs to the courtroom and were seated in the courtroom. And we had six that were seated in the jury box, six that were seated near the jury box. I think they were going to be the alternates or something. And then the rest of us all in the in the um, courtroom. And um, I can't share anything about the case. Of course, not that I was part of it anyway. There's not much to share. But it was third-degree assault. So it was actually um, a case that involved, you know, needed a, needed a, a, a 
uh, needed a jury. And we spent the entire morning, about four hours, for them to kind of go through and find out which jurors they wanted. Um, in the end, I was not selected. And I don't know, at the end, I was kind of wanting to a little bit just to be part of the process and see the process from the inside. I know many of you have done that. I mean, you know, as most of us who haven't done that, the only thing we know is through movies and TV and books. But it was still good to see that process and see how it worked. And to answer these questions, um, I had answered several questions that were asked of me as we were going around the, around the room. And it was, it was interesting to see the process. But it was also anxiety-ridden. I mean, we were in these hard plastic chairs downstairs and upstairs. We were just shoved into these pews. Not a lot of social distancing along this, although I'm not too worried about the virus. I got vaccinated, not making judgments to anybody. Um, that's just something I did, and so I'm not too worried about it. We all had masks on the whole time. But also just it was it was an issue with my – I was worried that, you know, what if I have to go to the bathroom? I'm in a courtroom now, and we can be sitting there for two hours, two and a half hours at a stretch, and – the more I worry about it, the more it can happen. In fact, when I'm not anxious, I can go three hours sometimes without using the restroom. It's all that pelvic floor dysfunction is all tied to my anxiety. But it was, so it was hard. And so at one point, the judge actually, because I had talked to somebody earlier downstairs, one of the commissioners, and about, hey, if I need to use the restroom, is this a problem? She goes, well, let them know upstairs. Well, the only chance you have to let anybody know upstairs in the courtroom is when the judge asks the entire courtroom, <laughs> does anybody have any medical problems that might make this difficult? Well, you all know D. Um, <laughs> I'm not shy. So I raise my hand and say, I have urinary complications to a courtroom of 37 people, two police officers or bailiffs, the judge, <laughs> um, four lawyers and the defendant. So it was, it was interesting. But you know, I just said that. I said, look, I have some urinary difficulties. Sometimes I can't go too long without using a restroom. And I just wanted to let you know that. And actually she was great. She said, I tell you what, if, if I told you that you could use the restroom when you needed to, and you would just raise your hand and let me know, would that be okay? And you could still serve. And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to serve. I love to do my duty. So I was happy that happened. Now I was not chosen in the end, but it was nice. And I got that resolved. And once I did, a lot of my anxiety was released. And I sat there for two hours and didn't have to go use the restroom. So now, of course, I, you know, drained myself <laughs> before and didn't drink any fluid for about three hours. So I was in a better spot. Um, thankfully, my stomach didn't kick in. So I had no digestive issues. I was glad about that. But it's, it's these limitations that we still face in our lives that it reminded me of that this, which could have been an, um, an annoyance for most people, I got to go do jury duty, but I'll go do it, is a lot more for so many of us. Something normal in our lives becomes complicated because of what we've been through and or are going through. And... That's the limitations. Those are the restrictions. That's the life we live now. Now, I'm seven years off and I still got problems. Like I said, don't use myself, my story as an example because I made mistakes. I think mine is protracted for some specific reasons, but it still kicks in sometimes and it's a problem. And this happened to hit right when a lot of stress was hitting from my family over the year and it's built up and I was in a wave and now I have to go to jury duty. 
The takeaways from this are one, I got through it and I did okay. Two, I just spoke up and said, hey, I got problems, <laughs> you know, and these are all strangers. I didn't care. So I got some urinary problems. I just told them outright. And I, you know, I'm not shy that way. I know for many of you that would have been impossible to have done, but you probably could have found a way. One option is when she asked for medical conditions, you could have actually said, I would like to share something with you, but I would like to approach the bench. And um, she was okay. Somebody else did that. And that was okay to approach and say it quietly. Um, I'm not shy about it. It's like, this is, everybody has problems and it's okay. But I think, I think the thing was, is, was, is whatever, is that we, we do have changes in our life. We have limitations sometimes. And I do believe all of us heal and I believe I still will eventually fully heal. Most people heal long before I have or am starting to. And so you've already gotten back to a normal, normal life. But for some of us, this lingers on a long time and it's, it's a new way we have to live. And, you know, it, I've worked around some of these restrictions I have, but this pelvic floor dysfunction is probably my most significant limitation right now. And we all have different ones. And um, it's just one I have to deal with and I got to learn to work around. And it's limited a lot of what I do in my life. And I'm hoping it eases. I'm hoping it gets better. But, you know, it may not. And adjusting to that is something we have to go through. So, you know, what's funny is like I probably sounded really <laughs> down about that. But here's the thing. Me talking about this right now, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I'm having a good day. I got all the emails caught up this morning responding to you all. That was great. Please send them back in. I am caught up on emails and I'm going to really try to make sure I respond to everybody within a week. So I promise going forward, I, I let that carry on too long and I'm going to be better about that. In fact, I'm going to schedule half a day every week to just do emails if I can't get to them before that. So I think that'll be good. But I do love hearing from you all. In fact, today's topic is kind of related to what I'm talking about here, which are setbacks. It's when you have those those symptoms later on. And I'll talk more about this, but I wanted to share this intro because it kind of, it was very recent and it, and it's directly related to our feature today. So right now I'm just rambling and, you know, my mind is like cranking out. Okay. Should I talk about, did I forget this? Oh, wait, what about that? I didn't mention this. Oh, you know, oh, I know I'm going to, you know, all that kind of crap that's going on in our heads. I'm now thinking before I move on to the closing out of the introduction, but you know what? I should just do it because we got to get on to our feature. And if there's something really important, we'll cover in the next episode. I just want to let you all know it's great to be back. I'm back in the office. I'm back in my studio here recording this, and I'm looking forward to um, many more here to come soon. So please let me know you're out there. And speaking of our format, it's going to include our introduction, which you just heard our feature, and our moment of peace. Our moment of peace is back. We'll do one here closing out the episode today. Our feature is actually a you know, two-for-one kind of deal, I think. Um, I'm going to share our listeners' question slash Benzo story, which is about setbacks, and then we're going to discuss setbacks in more detail. I, I hope you enjoy it. And before we move on, don't forget, we'd love to hear from you. Comment on our videos on YouTube, on our podcast posts, or via our feedback form on our website at easinganxiety.com feedback. 
And while you're there, perhaps you might want to subscribe to our mailing list or even donate to support the work we do. Trust me, every little bit helps. I've received some recent donations from, um, just to throw the names out here, from Trevor and from um, Pam. And I just want to thank both of them. Those, they, those just came in over the last week or two, and I want to thank you both um, for those donations. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. And, and of course, remember, the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. Okay, let's move on to our feature. Our feature today is called Surviving Setbacks. Oh, much like many of our topics on this podcast, this one is suggested by one of our listeners, Cindy, from Punta Gorda, Florida in the U.S. And I'd like to share what she had to say here to kick off this feature. Cindy has written me a few different emails on this topic. Um, she started with the, the following email here on August 14th of this year, um, in which she shares part of her story. Let me share that with you here now. I CT'd from a Z drug seven years ago. I suffered through protracted withdrawal and was mostly healed by three to four years. Prior to my encounter with Zolpidem, I was physically and mentally healthy, only suffered with insomnia. I was able to return to work and enjoy life again after three years. But in June 2021, I was on a course of antibiotics for 26 days penicillin, erythromycin, tetracycline, for pneumonia, and UTI. I am now back into complete benzo withdrawal symptoms, intense body burning sensations, numbness, tingling, tightness, pain, and fear. I believe I have had a setback due to antibiotics which hit the GABA-A receptors. There are some sites that warn of setbacks due to antibiotics, but I always felt I was safe as long as I avoided the fluoroquinolones. Now, after much research, I have discovered that penicillin can also cause setbacks. Do you know others that have had setbacks this far out, seven years, that have healed? Do you have any podcasts on setbacks? I was supposed to undergo colon resection surgery, but I'm so afraid of undergoing surgery now because antibiotics will be involved and anesthesia. Although I can request no benzodiazepines and no penicillin. Just would appreciate your insight into setbacks. And do people this far out recover from setbacks? Thank you for your response. I really appreciate your time, Cindy. Well, thank you, Cindy. I responded to Cindy in August and thanked her for the topic suggestion. This morning I was catching up on emails a bit behind. <laughs> Okay, more than a bit behind. I'm really behind on emails, but I did catch up on them again today, and I'm trying to be better and more responsive. A anyway, I wrote her back, and she replied with the following immediately. No worries about the reply. I am grateful you continue to work in the Benzo Awareness community. I reached out to you and Baylissa regarding my setback. Both of you were so supportive and reassuring that setbacks do happen and will resolve. I think it would be so helpful for those of us who have recovered to be aware that setbacks can occur due to medication, stress, caffeine, alcohol, and so we can avoid these setbacks. 
My recent setback lasted two months due to penicillin prescribed for a UTI. It was so difficult to believe seven and a half years from cold turkey of Ambien that I was back into full-blown benzo withdrawal symptoms of burning, squeezing, numbness, pain, fear, and anxiety due to an antibiotic. I now understand my CNS and GABA-A receptors have been permanently altered due to my encounter with Z-drugs. I know of others such as Matt Samet had a setback after seven years also. I am thankful you are considering doing a podcast on setbacks. Hopefully, it will prevent some of us from experiencing setbacks and what to avoid. And also, encourage those that are in a setback that they will be okay, that they will recover, and probably within a few weeks or months, not years. If I can help in any way, please let me know. Thank you again for your support. I truly appreciate it. Always, Cindy. Oh, thank you, Cindy. I, I love it when I get emails like this. Cindy is so insightful and knowledgeable after her years of recovery, and I'm so glad she helped me kick off this topic. And when it comes to setbacks, I've received so many about this topic. Instead of sharing all of them, I decided to focus um, on this more recent one from Cindy only and keep it simple. Uh, a few quick things about what Cindy said I want to cover first. First off, she mentioned that our CNS and GABA-A receptors have been permanently altered, and I completely understand why she said that. Yes, it is possible that the damage to our nervous system is permanent. We've talked many times about this on our podcast, but that being said, I do believe that we heal. Unfortunately, it can take a very, very long time for some of us. I know this because I am one of those people. Much like Cindy, I am now seven years benzo-free and still have symptoms, as I mentioned in the intro. But that being said, I have seen people at 10 years out say that they have finally healed completely, and that gives me hope. Please remember that only 10 to 15% of long-term benzo users experience protracted symptoms, that is, symptoms lasting beyond 18 months after the last dose. And of that 10 to 15%, only a small percentage of those experience symptoms lasting 5 to 10 years or longer. So even though some of us do experience long-term healing, most will not. And I always want to emphasize that. And also, even though people like Cindy and myself are still having occasional waves at seven years out, we are still so much better than we were in acute withdrawal. Also, for a bit of clarification from her email, she mentioned two people, and I thought I'd give them a shout-out here since they have both done amazing work. First off is Baylissa. If you don't know Baylissa Frederick, she hosts a site titled Bloom in Wellness, where she provides consultations and tons of support information for benzodiazepine withdrawal. Second name mentioned was Matt Samet. Now, Matt is no longer active in the benzo community, but he did write a book about his experiences a while back, and it's worth checking out. Matt was an avid rock climber when he had to deal with benzo dependence and withdrawal. And his book has been read by thousands. It's titled Death Grip, A Climber's Escape from Benzo Madness. You can find it easily on the web, and I put a link to his Amazon site in our show notes. Anyway, back to the topic at hand, surviving setbacks. 
One of the biggest misconceptions of benzo withdrawal is that when you take the last dose, everything is peachy. <laughs> You're done. And sometimes that is the case. But if you listen to this podcast at all, you already know that for many of us, that is not the case. First of all, let's cover a few of the basics here, just to make sure that we are on the same page. In benzo withdrawal, number one, everyone is different. I've said this a million times. Well, not a million, but, but a lot. But I've said this many, many times. Each of our experience, each of ours experience, each of our each of our experiences, each, yeah, which one's the plural? Ours? <laughs> you can tell I have li I'm living this section. But our experiences, there we go, I'm going to go with that. Our experiences vary greatly. And that's something to keep in mind. Please be careful when you read about someone else or even listen to me talk about my experiences. Please know yours is going to be different. And many times, not nearly as severe as the stories you are hearing. So when it comes down to setbacks and what's causing them and how to deal with them, everybody's circumstance is different. There are some commonalities, and we'll talk about those. But please be careful as far as to listen to one other person's story or one thing I mentioned here and think that's going to be me, because that's rarely the case. Number two, everything affects our nervous system. Our nervous systems both affect and are affected by almost every function in the human body. It's our brain and all of its wiring, and it touches everything. So when it becomes damaged, it can show its damage in a wide variety of symptoms. Symptoms that may not make sense or even appear made up to the outsider. But in reality, actually fit the damage that was done when you look at it in detail. And number three, healing takes time. For many of us, we took these drugs for weeks, months, even years. And the healing may take just as long, even longer for some. But all signs do point to one thing, and that is we do heal eventually. So let's talk about these setbacks. What are these setbacks? One thing benzo withdrawal is not, although many of us think it should be, is linear. Benzo withdrawal is a roller coaster ride. It has ups and downs and stops and goes and, and breakdowns and all kinds of crap thrown in, and it rarely makes a lot of sense. Our bodies heal sporadically. And we can have setbacks at any time, even without cause. In benzoese, that's the language of benzo withdrawal. Yes, I just made that up, but I kind of like it, so I might stick with it. But in benzoese, we call these waves and windows. Most of you know this, but let me cover it really quickly. When we have a window, our symptoms ease and we start to feel more like our old selves. We feel better. And when we have a wave, our symptoms increase and we get anxious, fearful, and depressed. And sometimes we don't even know we have a window or a wave, at least initially, because the line between them isn't always clear. So often we have a symptom but don't really know if it's part of benzo withdrawal or not, and we guess. And sometimes we think we are in a window, 
And while the symptoms may have eased, what really has happened is that we became accustomed to them. We, we learned to live with our symptoms. And life appeared to return to normal. But the point here is this. Symptoms happen. I think that should be a bumper sticker for us. Symptoms happen. <laughs> and we don't always know why. Anyway, for our use today, we think of setbacks as a wave of symptoms after a long window, perhaps even a time when we felt like we were fully healed. Okay, so we got that set up. Now let's talk about triggering setbacks. What causes these setbacks? How can we avoid them? Now there's a key question. Well, the obvious answer is this. Many times we have no idea what causes a wave, and thus we don't know how to avoid them. And that is something we need to learn to accept if we're going to survive this thing we call benzo withdrawal. But then again, sometimes they do seem to have triggers, events that set them off, and we can attribute them to something specific. Or at least we think we do. <laughs> One thing to keep in mind, and I talked about this in a recent podcast episode, is that for many of us, our GABA-A receptors are damaged by the long-term use of a benzodiazepine. They can't receive the calming messages of GABA as well as they used to. Now they've been down-regulated. And thus, we are unable to calm ourselves as others can. We have a physiologic hindrance to calming ourselves down. So we get ramped up and we stay there. We can stay there for some time. And then we become more anxious and fearful about the symptoms, which then makes us even more anxious, and it builds and the symptoms increase and, and we are in a wave. And these waves can take days, even weeks to resolve sometimes, especially since we have no way to calm ourselves, or at least no efficient way anymore. That's what needs to heal for us to develop that mechanism to calm ourselves again. So that the GABA-A receptors can reset themselves through homeostasis and be more accepting of the calming message of GABA. So knowing some of the more common setbacks might be good, even though we can't avoid them all. Here are a few triggers that are common for setbacks in benzo withdrawal. Number one is stress and anxiety. You know, few things trigger a wave of symptoms faster than stress and anxiety, and it makes sense. These are anti-anxiety drugs, and the symptoms that they reduced were symptoms related to anxiety. So, when we no longer have the protection of these drugs and our anxiety increases, and we don't have the ability to calm ourselves as well, we are probably going to have symptoms. And that is why we so often talk about your anxiety tool belt on this podcast. Learning anxiety management techniques to help manage your anxiety so you don't get so worked up can help to lessen the symptoms once they are triggered. Number two is diet. Diet can trigger symptoms. Many of us have dealt with a series of symptoms called, in benzoese, <laughs> yes, it's a thing now, <laughs> but called benzo belly. Many of you know this. This includes stomach distress, pain, aches, digestive difficulties, urinary difficulties, abdominal distension, and more. And many of us may have found a restrictive diet that helped us to get through this. 
But once you've healed enough and have found that window, that wonderful window of hope, we can have a tendency to forget these habits we learned. We can have a tendency to return to our old diet. I know this because this is me. <laughs> I've done this a few times. And my recent wave has definitely been affected by my diet, and I'm working on finding that solution again. A key factor here is also sugar. Sugar can be a big trigger in one's diet, and, and reducing it is often a helpful step. Sugar hypes us up. It revs the engine. It's fuel. And when you don't have any brakes, it's hard to stop. It's also important to note that too restrictive of a diet can have negative effects too. Professor Ashen stated the following, Advice to cut out white flour, white sugar, etc. may help certain individuals. But I've also observed that overly restrictive diets can have adverse effects. That's some good advice. Listen to your body and your body's reaction to foods and adjust accordingly. Work with your doctor, work with a nutritionist, but listen to your reaction to the things you eat. Number three, alcohol. Alcohol can be a controversial topic in benzo withdrawal. We've talked about it several times on this podcast, and there are several differing schools of thought here. Some, some say that alcohol is fine in withdrawal. Others say that drinking is the worst thing you can do in withdrawal, and even say that you should never drink alcohol again. Others are somewhere in the middle, and I'm one of those. I'm that somewhere in the middle kind of guy. Here's what we know. Alcohol affects people differently, so there might be some people who can drink during withdrawal with no problems. It is probably something you have to figure out for yourself. But we also know that alcohol affects the same GABA receptors as benzos. So when those receptors are healing, alcohol very well may affect that healing process and delay it or even cause symptoms itself. I lean on the side of caution here. If you feel that alcohol may be a trigger for you, avoid it for a while until you know for sure. Actually, I'm kind of dealing with this right now as part of this wave I've been in, I'm, and I'm confused as hell about it. Oh, I'm just like everybody else here. I can't really tell if alcohol is affecting me negatively or not. And I'm sure everybody out there has opinions, and I understand that, but I'm trying to figure out, for me, what happens. I have yet to find a necessarily direct correlation between alcohol use and a wave for me. But lately, in these later stages of protracted withdrawal, I'm wondering if maybe there is something here. I, I'm a very light drinker, especially since my experience in benzo withdrawal. And honestly, right now, I'd rather be safe than sorry. You know, I'm going to let those GABA receptors heal. I feel like I should bring in a cheerleading squad right now. You know, go GABA, go GABA, you know, and cheer them on. Okay, we won't go there. Let's move on. Number four, caffeine. You know, another substance that can cause problems is caffeine. Caffeine is a central nervous system stimulant. We have difficulty calming our nervous system once it's stimulated due to the healing of our GABA receptors. So, hmm, perhaps stimulating our system when we can't calm it is not a great idea. 
you know, perhaps. And I'm not one to judge. I do partake of caffeine too, but I'm cutting it out at least for a little while. Again, I want this wave to ease sooner rather than later. So why not take a few steps that might help that process? Number five is single-dose benzo use. Sometimes, yes, sometimes we take a benzo again. As frightening as this scenario may seem, it does happen. Sometimes it's for a surgical procedure. Sometimes it was one night, one really bad night, and you needed something to get you through. And sometimes it's even reinstatement back on benzos. We just couldn't handle withdrawal and we had to go back on. Now, I'm speaking about the first two cases here, the single dose benzo. If you reinstated, that's a whole nother deal, one that is manageable, so don't freak out. But when we talk about in different episodes, this time we're talking about that single dose. First off, don't beat yourself up about this. If you took a one-time dose to get through it all, don't panic. It happens and we can deal with this. And sometimes we took a dose because it's medically necessary, like a one-time benzo use during a surgical procedure or exam, a scenario that Ashton says is not something to worry about. But either way, a single dose can set off some symptoms. It is usually temporary, but it does happen. Just write it out the best you can and know your body will adjust. And also don't forget that number one cause of a setback or of a wave, anxiety and stress, if you are worried about that single dose of benzos really worked up, that anxiety alone may be the cause of your wave and not the single dose of the benzo. So be careful about getting too worked up about this stuff. Most people can take a single dose during a procedure and be just fine. But still, it's something to be aware of, and I wanted to mention it here. Number six, antibiotics. As Cindy mentioned, antibiotics can also be a trigger for a setback. Now, I'm not talking about fluoroquinolones here, also known as quinolones. These are a particular class of antibiotics that are strongly recommended to avoid during benzo use and withdrawal. Alone, these drugs can cause neuropathy, and in combination with benzos, can cause even more complications. Please speak with your physician if you are prescribed these and see if there's an alternative that you can take. But in this section, we are talking about other antibiotics. We're not exactly sure why, although there is some speculation, but it does appear that antibiotics have been known to be a trigger for a wave of symptoms or even setbacks as Cindy has referred to. But this evidence is also anecdotal. Most people who are taking antibiotics are also dealing with health conditions and stress, which both of those factors alone can also be triggers for a setback. Now, I want to emphasize that I am not a medical professional, as I mentioned many times, and none of this is medical advice. If your doctor prescribes you an antibiotic and you are uncomfortable taking it, please go back to your doctor and talk with him or her about it. Don't just stop taking or don't just not take an antibiotic. Antibiotics can be necessary for many conditions and deciding not to take it is not advisable. Please 
work with your doctor on alternatives if this is a concern for you. But that being said, if you take an antibiotic during withdrawal, it may be a good idea to be aware that it might trigger a setback. And number seven are health problems. Any health problem can trigger a setback. And since we are in the middle of a pandemic, health problems are easy to come by. COVID, the flu, a common code, surgery, cancer, dementia, any illness can reduce your immune system and trigger a wave of symptoms. Keeping yourself healthy with a proper diet, exercise, relaxation, and avoiding common causes of infectious illnesses are good tips. Also, withdrawal itself can lower your immune system and make you more susceptible to illness. It's a nasty combination and one to avoid if you can. So all that said, sometimes you just cannot avoid a setback. For those of us in protracted withdrawal, well, they just happen. So when they happen, what do you do? Well, the first thing not to do is panic. And yet, it's often our most common reaction. In my opinion, and yes, um, everything I say here is my opinion, so why do I even bother to mention that? But I do because I always want to make sure I mention things. <laughs> oh, kind of like that whole, you know, I'm not a medical professional thing that I say all the time. <laughs> but I just like to throw it in now and then. Anyway, in my opinion... Only part of any wave is caused by an external trigger other than anxiety. Part of it is also caused by our reaction to the wave. We know that anxiety and stress are as that number one trigger of setbacks. We just mentioned that when we went through the seven triggers of setbacks. But anxiety and stress are also the number one cause of continuing that wave or setback. And that brings us back to square one, a very common square on this podcast, and that is reducing your anxiety and fear. The more we worry about a wave, the stronger the wave becomes. It sucks, but it's true. We don't always know a wave is a wave. It's often hard to decipher between a common ache, pain, or other malady and a symptom of benzo withdrawal. And many times we don't know. But once we determine or even think that it is related to a wave of symptoms, or even before we make a decision, try not to worry about it. We've been here before. It's just a wave of symptoms and not even the worst wave most of the time. You know the wave is temporary and it will ease over time. So let it. Let your body heal and don't add fuel to the fire through fear and anxiety. I know this is not easy to do, but that's where your anxiety tools come in handy. The ones, you know, you worked on during your withdrawal. You remember those? <laughs> We've talked about those. Find ways to calm yourself, to relax yourself, to focus on the positives in life and worry less about the negatives. You know, another helpful hint, and one I don't mention as often, but I probably should, is to set boundaries. I wrote a chapter on this in my book, Benzo Free. Yes, every now and then I do sneak in a shameless plug, and this is it. <laughs> 
check you can check out my book on Amazon. It's titled Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. And yes, there is a link in the show notes. Okay. Thus endeth the shameless plug. <laughs> and I am ashamed I did that. So I guess it wasn't so shameless after all. Anyway, I now digress. So back to the topic, which was boundaries. That was it. Yes, boundaries. So back to boundaries. Here's a section in my book from the chapter on boundaries. Oops, there it is again. Sorry. Anyway, I think this section fits here. So just bear with me for a minute. Boundaries during withdrawal come in a wide variety of shapes and sizes. Some of them relate to diet. Others relate to exercise or entertainment. Some even apply to relationships with other people. Overall, Boundaries are limitations we place on our lives to help us reduce adverse reactions and to help manage our recovery. But setting boundaries isn't always straightforward. It's easy to make your boundaries too restrictive or, or have them adversely affect those around you. One of the most common themes throughout this book is that when you go through benzo withdrawal, you have a lot of questions. And this holds true when it comes to setting boundaries. Can I eat sugar, carbs, meat? Can, can I drink caffeine? What about alcohol? Can I smoke weed or cigarettes? Can I take vitamins? How about my herbal supplements? Can I take benzos under you know, certain circumstances? Should I exercise? Should I improve my relationships or cut out the toxic ones? Should I work or stay home and rest? Should I force myself to go outside even for 10 minutes? You get the picture. These are all great questions, and the answers will vary dramatically depending on whom you ask. I've identified two distinct schools of thought on boundaries during withdrawal. The first is avoidance. Most people on the online benzo boards fall into the, what I call, avoidance camp. The argument made here is that benzo withdrawal is already so arduous for some people. Why would you do anything that might make it worse? Now, this is a valid argument, and it's based on solid common sense principles. It just makes sense that if something is making you feel worse, avoid it, especially during this difficult time. The second school of thought is what I like to call lifestyle. It, it takes a more laid-back approach to boundaries focusing more on maintaining some sense of normalcy during withdrawal. This is actually more closely aligned with Professor Ashton's thoughts and reasoning from her manual. I believe there needs to be balance here. I'm big on balance in life, if you haven't noticed. Some of these subjects on the boards garner more agreement from within the community, others more dissension. Some people apparently have an issue to promote for one reason or the other and will try to convince you that their way is the right way. Some believe that a particular substance is the root of all evil. Others may tell you that the same substance saved their lives. Some people cut people out of their lives who don't understand them or understand what they're going through. Others cling tighter to the people in their lives despite their attitudes. Some people stay at home and never leave. Others challenge withdrawal at every turn and force themselves to live some semblance of a normal life. It's incredibly confusing to know whom to listen to and whom to ignore. I like moderation. I like balance. 
Sure, there are a few things that everyone should avoid during withdrawal, but only a few. As for the rest, it will be more trial and error than anything else. Use your own brain to decide for yourself. Try to be as objective as you can in determining what is working for you and what sends you into a wave. And make sure you consider your anxiety and stress levels as factors for your analysis. Now, this can be difficult at times, but it's the only way to really know if something aggravates your symptoms or calms them down. Well, I, I could go on and on and read out of the book. I mean, it's a book. You have to fill in the pages with lots of words, right? But I think you get my point. Finding a balance doesn't only refer to the initial stages of withdrawal, but also the later stages, and even to living your life after. If we return to all our old habits, as I have done to some degree, so I know what I'm talking about, you start the cycle over again. We can learn a lot of lessons during withdrawal, a lot of useful lessons on how to live our lives in more healthy ways. And maintaining those lessons and skills as we move forward is equally as important as learning them in the first place. By the way, did I mention that section came from my book? <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help it on that one. <laughs> well, that closes out our feature. Thanks to Cindy for her email and to everyone else who has shared their complications and setbacks and waves with me. Um, I really appreciate it. I hope this was informative and I thank you each for listening. Now, allow me just 25 seconds for a disclaimer and I will carry on with our moment of peace. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly, relaxing your entire body. 
Now just breathe slowly, naturally, and completely. And listen to the soft music in the background, relaxing your entire body and finding the peace within. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to the music. Continue to do this for one minute. next episode is episode 91. Thank you again for joining me today and please let us know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.